This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. You're listening to Valley Football First and Goal, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference on the lineupmedia.fm network. Now, your host, Kelly Burke. Welcome into the MVFC First and Gold podcast. I'm Kelly Burke, and our guest today is an old football friend of mine. Phil Longo is in his second season as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Ole Miss. But I know him from his time at Southern Illinois, where he was the offensive coordinator for the Salukis back in 2008 and 2009. Phil, uh, great to catch up with you today. Kelly, how are you? I'm, I'm glad to... Uh get this invite. I'm, I'm excited to talk. I get to talk about Ole Miss today and Southern Illinois. Absolutely. Well, we're taping a day after Father's Day. So first of all, I want to wish you a happy belated Father's Day. And Thanks. how did you celebrate with Tanya and the girls yesterday? Oh, we, we did it all yesterday. We had a swim meet. We got up at 530 in the morning, had a swim meet in Tupelo, Mississippi. And then we had uh, some basketball. We went to a birthday party at the pool and uh, made some dinner as a family last night. So it was a long day, but it was a fun day. Awesome. Phil, how would you describe your coaching style? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if anybody's ever really asked me that. My coaching style, I like to have fun, but I think winning is fun. So uh, I think off the field, the players know I care about them. They enjoy winning ball games with them. Um, I also think they know there's an expectation on the field, not just by me, but by our whole staff. And so – you know, we're going to coach them hard. And uh, I'm not a bad language guy. I'm not a big yelling and a screamer, but uh, I'm a high energy guy. And I think, uh, you know, as long as our guys are working and doing the things they need to do, then then I, usually my, my temperament is, is pretty calm. So I read about uh, sort of a Brett Michaels bandana moment you had. <laughs> Maybe yeah. in the last six months, if you would share that story. You know, it's, there's a lot of interesting things that go on when, when you're coaching. And uh, we were recruiting a quarterback by the name of Matt Corral. And uh, he went to Long Beach Poly High School in Los Angeles. Um, he just happened to be dating a young lady by the name of Rain Michaels at the time. And uh, that is Brett Michaels' daughter. Oh, wow. I went out there, and he, he wanted us to meet uh, a number of people in his network. So we met with parents and we met with administrators at the school we met with teachers we met uh his best friend's parents you know and, and a whole uh circle of different people that were important to him and one of them just happened to be you know brett michaels his his uh girlfriend at the time his, okay. his dad and so uh that was the last stop of the day and and uh, that was kind of an interesting visit uh as great a guy as you'll meet i mean down to earth you would never know this guy was a major rock star. He's about as cool as they come. Yeah. And so, you know, you just uh, you get to know parents and you get to know these people of your recruits. And he just happens to be one of them. So we kind of got to know him a little bit. And when they asked us to tell an interesting story to our alums and our VIPs uh, on signing day, I just shared the, the Brett Michael story. Awesome. I don't know. The bandana, the bandana just kind of popped out there. While I was telling the story, are you a Poison fan? Oh, I grew up a Poison fan, so no, no question. Yeah. Why, for you and your family, has 
Ole Miss been such a good fit? You know, we spent a lot of time in in, uh, in Texas, just north of Houston, and um, probably one of the best quality of life states you could possibly live in, state of Texas. And between Tanya and I, you know, as you know, Tanya's coached 15 years, Division One basketball coach, women's basketball coach. So between she and I, we've lived in 15 or 16 different states, and we'd never been anywhere that uh, we thought was as you know, well-rounded and as high quality life as where we were in Texas. But to come to Oxford, um, it was quite an experience. It is, uh, my girls are flourishing here. My wife loves it here. Uh, she's no longer coaching basketball, but uh, th this is a very active town, a little bit of a tourist town, um, historical town, great college town. So I, I don't know uh, if you can find a better college atmosphere than Oxford, Mississippi. How has Mike Leach and the air raid offense influenced your coaching philosophies? Well, you know, Mike was uh, kind enough to sit with me for hours on end at a, at a clinic that I attended. I drove down in a forerunner. I drove down from Jersey all the way down to uh state of Kentucky for a clinic in 1996. Okay. And I didn't get to talk to him the entire time. And until the end of the clinic, I grabbed him at the end and he spent four hours you know, a couple nights there. And uh, up until that time, I probably had wandered around four or five years trying to figure out what type of offense I wanted to run. And after I met him and learned that system, I played quarterback myself at one point. And so it just made sense to me. And I decided that uh, this was the approach I believed in and I, and I made sense to me. Yeah. And so we just kind of, uh, I've been running it ever since. Um, and, you know, every year we just try to take it maybe one notch further than we did the year before. Okay. What, what specifically about that offense resonated with you and what he was trying to teach you? Know, you? I like the freedom it gives our, our skill players. Uh, the receivers are given a lot of uh, uh, flexibility with regards to running routes and making decisions at the top of their stem. Uh, it gives running backs a little bit more freedom as to, how, you know, with regards to hitting the hole and attacking the point of attack. And it, it's uh without question, much simpler for our quarterbacks. Uh, and so that those things, keeping it simple mentally, um, providing them with some flexibility, and uh, probably the thing that I give the most uh, attention to is getting our players to a point where they can play instinctively. And to me, that's very important. We grade them on how instinctive they play, and that means they need to know what their job is. Um, and then you want to give them a little flexibility to go. And I don't want to handicap a great athlete by giving him six or seven different rules on a play. You know, I want to give him one assignment. I want to give him the flexibility to go and execute that using his athletic ability. And so that's probably what has been most attractive to me over the years with, you know, our philosophy and our approach. So that makes sense. So how do you, how do you go about you and your staff teaching players to play instinctively? Well, you know, it's different every time you take over a, a different job because uh, there are a lot of good coaches in this business, and the coaches that uh, do a great job hammer home their specific rules and techniques yeah. and fundamentals and ways of doing things. And then when when you come in behind a good staff, you you actually have to break them of those rules because you're you're giving them a lot more flexibility than they've ever been given before. And so I, I think once you get through that learning curve, and that really was took four weeks last year. So the first four weeks of the season, I think it took a while for us to get 
in the groove offensively. And somewhere early in the Auburn game, game five, it just clicked and the rest was history offensively. And so, you know, I think uh, we expect to pick up at Texas Tech where we left off at Mississippi State last year. Well, speaking of Texas Tech, uh, one of Mike's disciples is Cliff Kingsbury, the head coach there. How has he helped you tap into your creative side? Well, Cliff, Cliff, I met him just sitting in quarterback meetings with Mike. Okay. You know, Cliff was an awesome quarterback at Texas Tech for Coach Leach. Um, and so I got to, to meet him then and get, start to know him then. And then, you know, over the years, you just spend a little more time. You start talking football. You develop a relationship. And, you know, we all have kind of a common ground with this offense. And so uh, it, it's it's been good because I go see Mike every year. And I leave there uh, feeling like uh, I, I don't want to do anything new or put anything else in new because it just kind of reconfirms what I believe. And that is keeping it simple is, is important for our players. And then, you know, I'll, I'll sit and try and meet with Cliff at some point during the year also. In my opinion, he's the best touchdown game planner that I've ever been around. I mean, he'll, he'll put six plays in for a game and he'll score on four of them. I mean, he's just extremely creative, outside-the-box type thinker. Yeah. Uh, and so that's – I like to draw from his ideas. I think he's one of the better guys. And so they say surround yourself with good people, and I've tried to do that throughout my career. Yeah. So in a game, you have a, about 26 plays that you, you use pretty regularly. In any given game, ballpark, I mean, how many of those 26 are you potentially using? You know, 26 makes the – the playlist but I think what we carry into a game on Saturday typically is more like 16 to 18 plays okay. it's the same exact offense I ran when I was at Southern Illinois <laughs> it's the same format it's the same game plan you know uh, plan and, and, and approach to, during the week there's certain head coaches that I've been with have not wanted to do one thing or the other and so we've eliminated that that particular year but over the years I'd say the last 22 years we've been in the same offensive system and that alone has been an advantage because we haven't had to change offenses it's been the same I've been in the same thing for 22 years so I feel like I, I know it hopefully by this this point in time yeah what makes a good quarterback in your system uh, I, I think he's got to be able to think and throw um, and in the thinking part uh, I'm trying to make as easy as possible so I give you an example. About 15 years ago, I had a card that I gave our quarterbacks, and it had a list of seven different things on there. And I just realized I'm taking one of the best football players on the field, and he's got seven different things to think about before we even snap the football. And I, you know, you just feel like you're handicapping a great athlete. So we we eliminated all that, and uh, he simply is going to get the signal. He's going to either ID the coverage or the front, one or the other, and he's going to run the play. So he has three things to do on every down, and one of them is post-snap. Um, and we're going to keep it that simple for him. And then, he obviously, uh, how accurate they are is a, is a key deal. They're, they're throwing motion. You know, we give it all a lot of rhetoric and attention. None of that really means anything to me. If they're accurate, uh, they can get the ball where they need to get it. They can distribute it to the athletes. Those are the two biggest priorities. And then if they're athletic at all, um, and they're able to do anything with their legs in the run game, then that's icing for us. Yeah. So when you have a quarterback, and let's just use for an example because you were with him for several seasons, you know, Jeremiah Briscoe at Sam Houston State. When he transferred in, what was his reaction then once he learned 
you know, the, the offense, just about the simplification of everything. How did he react to not having to overthink everything? You know, I, I think uh, he did it such a – he's an intelligent kid, probably one of the best thinkers I've coached. Um, I think that's what makes him so good. He can make any throw on the field. But um, he got to a point where he really knows the game the way I do. And, I, you know, really all I needed to do was signal a formation and let him call it, and, you know, he, he could have done that. I, I think uh, he is probably the epitome of what we're looking for. Now, he wasn't going to run the ball. Yeah. He wasn't an athlete. And he'll tell you that. But um, he did such a great job of distributing the football to all the the great athletes that we had in the offense that there really was no need for him to have to do anything athletically. So he he had the accuracy and the arm strength we talked about. And uh, he was as intelligent as anybody I've coached. So that's what made him special. What do you feel like is unique about your specific quarterback room? You know, I I think the fact that we keep it simple, I think uh, the relationship in here is – always been good you know I've uh, I've been to eight quarterback weddings out of my 15 starters oh wow um, and I don't say that bragging I say that I'm proud of that because I have had some terrific relationships with my quarterbacks and uh, I think that comes from spending every day with these guys I mean I see them more than they see their girlfriend more than they see their mom or their dad yeah and you know we spend a lot of grind time in this office and so I you know you develop some good relationships with some great people and then you know that that translates when you get on the field because you trust each other and you know you get to a point where you wind up completing each other's sentences yeah you know besides the obvious you know being the athletes the the caliber recruits are getting and just the passion level what are the biggest differences you notice now in the SEC versus some of the other conferences and schools you've been at I smile because that's probably the most often asked question I get. It's not really that big of a difference. You know, I remind people it's uh, football is just football. The X's and O's, the things that we're doing right now are the things that, you know, I did all the way back in high school. I mean, blocking and tackling and catching the football and running routes and all that has been the same. I I think the biggest difference, you know, people forget, you know, I had had one uh, in one interview, they asked me – how are you going to do the things that you do in this offense against all of the SEC defensive talent that you're going to see? And, you know, I'm quick to remind people, we have some talent on the offensive side too. Yeah. You know, there, there's some SEC level receivers and running backs and offensive linemen here yeah. too. So mm-hmm. really it's all relative. You know, we, we, we have, uh, we have some talent of our own on the offensive side. So the X's and O's hasn't changed. I'd say if there was one drastic difference, it's the talent level that we see week in and week out on the defensive line, particularly at the defensive end position. Hmm. So I'd say if there's a uh, any drastic difference between coaching anywhere else relative to where you're at and here, it's it's how challenging defensive ends and how talented they are for our offensive tackles is. That, I think that's the greatest is disparity between here and coaching other places. So when you're in a game – you're obviously you're in the zone you're in the present you know calling plays but you and I had talked before we started the interview just about the grove and everything surrounding it and so have you had a chance at any point to just sort of take it all in you know and have you had a you know kind of welcome to the SEC moment where you thought wow this is this is unlike anything I've ever experienced you know it's it's a special this is a special atmosphere 
And I, I would say that uh, heading out to my first game I ever coached, heading out to a JUCO game or a D2 game or an FCS game, yeah, I love the sport and I love coaching, so I'm always probably equally as excited, but I don't know if I've ever been anywhere that matches the atmosphere that exists around an SEC football game in Oxford with the Grove, 110,000 people, the food and the, and, 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 and the uh, excitement. And then you, you, we take a quarter mile walk through, you know, this, this ocean of people yeah. that uh, some of whom have been planning and have been here all week just to get out there on Friday night. And uh, it's, it's really like nothing I've ever experienced. I, I, I say often it's a bucket list item for people. You've got to do it at least once. That's awesome. My conversation with Coach Phil Longo continues in just a second, but if you're enjoying this edition of the MVFC First and Gold podcast, check out all the Lineup Media Group offerings, sports and non-sports podcasts. Now back to the show. Phil, you started your coaching career in the high school ranks. You know, you've, you've been in Division Three, you've been in Division Two, uh, and obviously spent a, a good amount of time at the FCS level. But what advice would you have for coaches chasing that same dream who want to eventually get to the highest ranks of the division one level, um, just about the path and the journey that you've been on. You know, I, I would say three things. I said, it's, it takes a lot of, a lot of luck. I've told, uh, I've told, I've been very fortunate to be around some great people. You know, I've, I've, uh, had an opportunity to work at some different places with some outstanding coaches. And so you kind of draw from all those people and, and kind of add to your bank. And so that's the first thing I tell them is to take advantage of anybody they work with that one is a good character guy and two knows the game. Second thing I would say is expect not to make some money for a while. You know, you're, you're going to, uh, GAs, analysts, D3, D2 coaches. It's, it's, it's hard to live on the money that you do or you don't make at those levels and at those positions. And, uh, money was never the reason I got into this sport. I got into the sport, um, what I thought was to win, win a lot of games and, and rings and, uh, and, and records and awards and all that stuff. That's probably what was on my goal sheet the first five years of my career. That, that's not what's there now. I yeah. want to win a national championship. Um, but I've learned over the years that a big part of it is the relationships that you have with, with your players. You know, we talked about the quarterbacks earlier. So, and then the third thing I would tell them is, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about, where your next job is coming from. You know, I, I think as soon as your focus goes away from the job at hand, the job that you're doing and the place that you're at, uh, I think it takes away from, you know, the, the level of production you have at that place. Yeah. And, you know, obviously the better you do here, the more it helps you at the next job if, if, if God's willing. So that, those are the three things I would tell a younger coach. What advice would you give your 22-year-old self you know, just getting into coaching. Oh, don't, don't be so ego minded with, with goals. You know, I, I think, uh, as I said, I, you know, I had everything written out. I wanted to win X amount of these and X amount of those. I was going to be a head coach by a certain age and all this stuff. And none of that's going to happen by design. None of that happens the way you want it. Um, and, and a lot of that became unimportant to me after I really realized, you know, probably the biggest influence in my life outside of my pop was my head football coach in college. And, um, you know, he did a lot to help me get where I am today. And I still do and say some things sometimes that 
remind me of him. And I don't do it on purpose, but I was influenced by him as I was so many others. And so, um, I, I just think, uh, I think that's, that's what I would identify. You spent several seasons at Southern Illinois, uh, and at Youngstown state, both Missouri Valley that's football cool. conference schools. You know, what, what are your memories of the Valley football conference? You know, I, Beating NDSU was a was a great a great memory. That was uh, we did that pretty handily at our place. Um, that was a good one. I you know we made a, a good playoff run both years. I was here. We went. I think we were 21 and four the two years. We won the conference both years. So we really had a nice we had a nice run there. And uh, we coached a lot of great players and a lot of great people. Still, I'm still in touch with a lot of those Southern Illinois players now. How are you? Yeah. and a number of those coaches nice um, so those were all those were all good memories i like the people in town we enjoyed living uh in, in carterville right next door to to carbondale um yeah I, I have nothing but good memories from being being a saluki and uh you know of course the only day i'm not going to root for them is when they come to town here yeah. in <laughs> why do you feel like we're seeing more and more FCS level players succeed at the NFL level. Well, you know, it's, it's a very popular sport. There's a lot of talent in this country at the sport. Um, and sometimes you have players that, uh, they don't look the part on, on paper. You know, they're an inch too short or 20 pounds too light or what have you, or, you know, a 10th of a second too slow. And you don't, you know, as an FBS program, particularly at, a, at, a, at Ole Miss or something, you know, uh, similar, you, you may not roll the dice on a kid like that when, why take the 6'2 kid when you can take the 6'4 kid? Yeah. And so some guys get overlooked, you know, and at the FCS level, you know, at Sam Houston and at Youngstown State and at Southern Illinois, you know, we were looking for those guys that fell through the cracks that from a talent standpoint could really play at that level but might have been overlooked for you know, some other reason. And those were the ones that you tried to find and recruit. And I think uh, finding talent at the FCS level was harder than it is here. You know, here, it's getting that talent to come here. Yeah. We can find it. We just got to recruit the top 100 or 120 players at each position in the nation. You can't do that at Sam Houston. So here, it's easy to identify, but it's harder to get. At Sam Houston, I think that the challenge at Southern Illinois, Youngstown State, identify could reach you could get um, that could excel for you in your program at that level because of how c competitive the recruiting scene is in the sec have you had to change how you approach recruiting yeah it, it really is a whole different animal and i credit uh, uh matt luke um you know he was the offensive line coach when i got here and uh, just as an offensive coordinator i've always believed you need to have a great relationship with your own line guy so i spent just about every day with coach luke i mean he did everything from just teach me how to get around town to to help me transition to Ole Miss. But um, the the FBS recruiting deal is much different. Um, I don't I don't know that it's any harder. It's just different, and uh, you know. So it just took some adjustment. But you know, Matt Luke was a major resource for me with regards to that. I think recruiting people doesn't change sitting in a home talking to mom and dad and a player that stuff doesn't change yeah but the uh the quantity and and, and the time commitment and the everyday commitment to recruiting at this level is is uh 
unmatched by any job I've ever had. And so, you know, that was uh, probably the thing that I needed to adjust to the most. You coach about 85 young men, but when you go home every night, you're dad to two young girls, Gianna and Macaria. How do That's they me. how do they bring perspective to your life day to day? Well, you know, the best thing about them right now is they're young and so they yeah. don't care how you play. Although I did have my 7-year-old tell me that we need to throw the ball a little bit more last year. So <laughs> um, I came home on a Saturday. She said, hey, Dad, I thought you could have thrown a little bit more. I don't know if she knows what she's talking about. But um, for the most part, they don't care if you win or lose. You know, they love you just the same. So that's that's always uh, pleasant. And I get a lot of enjoyment out of the fact that they enjoy what I do. You know, my wife and my kids come to every practice. Um, we're, we're, we're not out there cursing at our kids on the field because we have family there watching, watching practice. And uh, so I get to eat dinner with my two girls and my wife at the same table as I do with some of my offensive players every day during the week, you know, and that's a credit to how coach Luke runs the program. And it's how I believe you can do it. I think our whole staff feels that way. And so it allows you to be a coach and a dad, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, put one aside to take care of the other. You mentioned Tanya earlier in our interview. uh, And obviously I I adore her. Um, And you said, you know, she's a former women's college basketball coach for a number of years. So how has her understanding of the time demands of college athletics helped to strengthen your marriage? Because it takes a very special woman to be a coach's wife. Huge advantage for me. Um, I think uh, it's hard as a coach if you're struggling at home because of the, the rigors and the stresses of coaching college football. It's a major strain. I think um, it takes a lot of time away from raising your kids. It, it takes some tremendous understanding, you know, by a special kind of wife to to understand what this life is all about because it's it's not normal. Yeah. Um, I'm saying it's bad. It's just it's not the normal nine to five deal. And if if you're not comfortable with that, it, it can it can definitely stress a marriage. So having having a, a wife like Tanya, who I met through coaching. Um, who understands that when I'm supposed to be home tonight at 8 p.m. and I can't make it till 1 a.m. and she gets it. You know, when we go to a recruiting dinner, she's probably recruiting as much as I am. And uh, when she's at practice, she's really watching practice. She gets it. And I think uh, just having somebody on that end of it who's as special as I think my wife is and also understands what I'm doing makes life easier for me. And there's no question I'm a better coach because of my wife. Did you guys meet at Southern Illinois? No, no, man. We met at the uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Oh, okay. okay. So she was the head women's basketball coach there, and I was offense coordinator. And uh, she stalked me for about three months. <laughs> we started dating. She really was uh, was the only late night grinding coach there, and uh, so we got to know each other late night in the building, and and uh, rest is history. Yeah, you know, you're a Jersey boy from an Italian family. How does that upbringing continue to shape you as a person and a dad and a coach? Well, you know, I, I come from a family that uh, I think uh, I'm very fortunate. I had two wonderful parents. They both still live in Jersey. And, uh, you know, everything was about integrity and, and honesty. And, and I'm certainly not perfect, but, you know, we, we – uh, you would hope you do, I do, we all do to try to better yourself every day. And I think we did that with my folks and I, I just feel fortunate. I, I don't think I, uh, 
appreciated as much then. I was a handful. Um, but five, ten years out of, of college, you look back and you realize that the reason that you're doing a lot of the things that you're doing now are because of what you learned when you were growing up. So I'm very appreciative of, of my upbringing and where I, I grew up on the Jersey Shore, on the beach. Nice. You know, we weren't surfing or skiing. We were playing football, but it was one or the other. Um, and then, of course, I haven't been back there now other than to visit family. I haven't lived there in 30 years. So the Midwest and the South and Texas has been, you know, probably as big of an influence on me the last 30 years as anything. Finally, I wanted to ask you, what is a, a motto or a mindset you live by? You know, I'm not a big quotes guy. The, the theme for our offense is don't blink. That's that's. uh probably tell our players to apply that to their life as much as we do the offense you know we're going to play fast and uh, i want them to play instinctively and i want to play i want them to play without thinking about a mistake they may have made on the last play and so that's kind of how don't blink applies to us offensively um but uh you know maybe off the field the only thing that i really have that you know i have wffh on my wall in my office and I have WFFH on my mirror in my bathroom at home. And uh, not that I need to be reminded of really important things in my life, but the W is my wife, the F is my family, the second F is my faith, and the last one is my health. I don't always get to that fourth one, but I try. <laughs> but it's, it just reminds me every day of the four things that, because sometimes you'll address three, and, you know, just – just seeing that here in my office and having that at the house is just my daily reminder of what my priorities are every day. Interesting. I'm glad you I'm glad you cleared that up because I was going to ask you actually because sometimes when we message each other you set you write that to me and I and I was wondering what it was. <laughs> That's what why family faith and health. <laughs> yeah. Football you don't have to listen. <laughs> Well, Phil, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with me. It's always fun to catch up with you. And I very much look forward to figuring out a date uh, that Chris and I can come this season and, and take in an Ole Miss game in the Grove. Well, y'all are welcome any weekend you want to. And it, it was an absolute pleasure talking with you today, Kelly. I appreciate it. It's good to see you again. You too. If you like what you heard from Phil Longo and our MVFC First and Gold podcast, please take a minute to share, subscribe, and leave a review. Lineupmedia.fm also is home to many other sports podcasts, shows like Chase and Pucks with Panger, Behind the Eight Ball, and Coach Your Brains Out. You can also find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Tune in next week for another episode of Valley Football First and Goal with Kelly Bird, the official podcast of the Missouri Valley Football Conference, only on the lineupmedia.fm network. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast was a presentation of lightupmedia.fm.